your Bible. Turn with me to Psalm 51. We're going to look, um, as we kind of start to put a little bit of a bow on our do-over series, as we kind of do some wrap-up thoughts on it this week and next. I want to um, I want to bring us in a little bit into a thought that's a little bit more personal, a little bit more um, intimate, I guess, if you would. Uh, we've been looking at our desperate need for a do-over, how we live life and kind of we we kind of come to a point where we think, how did we even get here? And we've been looking at biblical examples of those. The first week we looked at uh, the woman at the well. Remember, we talked about her desperate need of a relational do-over. And then we had our, our week in the gym, and then uh, we came back on really what was week two and looked at uh, Jairus' daughter and the bleeding woman. And last week we kind of looked at Hannah and, and Samuel and how Hannah really, through her faithfulness and the promise that she kept, uh, provided the kingmaker for Israel. This is an incredible story through uh, the first few chapters of, of Samuel. And, and today I, I want to look at a, a story that we're all too familiar with. When we think about King David, we think about all the things that he did, uh, we, we immediately begin to put the story together in our head, right? We remember uh, the David and Goliath moment. Uh, remember the... Um, if, if God can deliver me from the hand of the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, that he can deliver me from this Philistine, right? Remember this incredible moment of a young boy to step out in front of everybody in the faith of God to, to, to take down the, uh, the, the giant, the, the major, the defiling man of God's name who, who stood out in front of the army for 40 days. Uh, where other men cowered in fear. We remember the the anointing of King David, how a young, really teenage uh, boy is now going to be king. And, and because of that and the jealousy of Saul, Saul continues to try to chase after him and tries to kill him. And, and there's this incredible story, if you've, if you've ever read through um, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, of, of David and Jonathan, Saul's son, and the friendship that they had. One of my most favorite stories in the Bible of, of their their blood brother friendship, how they stood up for each other, they watched out for each other. And then um, we kind of hear and read through all of the, the battles that David won. Remember the people in the town, that's part of the reason why Saul was so jealous of them. The people in the town would sing songs when they would come back from battle about how Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his ten thousands. Um, and then it seems everything is going so right. Everything is doing exactly what... Um, how it was supposed to happen, how God wanted it to be played out. David was just living in the middle of God's will, and then comes Bathsheba, right? And we know this story. It kind of plays out through Second uh, Samuel chapter 11, and, and how there's this uh, woman he sees, he brings her in, he has an affair, he, he sets up the, the cover-up. Remember, he brings her husband back from war, and, and tries to make it look like maybe it's his child instead of David's, and then uh, that doesn't work, and so the only other resort that he has is to send him to the front line to kill him. And, and we read through all of this, and we say, we're talking about somebody needing a do-over, right? This, this guy, this King David, needed a do-over. He was, he was referenced in Scripture as a man after God's own heart, and we sit back and we think, how did it go so wrong? How could he go so far? How could he? How could he? And we kind of get on our, our spiritual high horse and we start to point fingers and we think, how could he do such an awful thing? How, how could you? But then we want to stop. And as I was reading through this this last week, I just thought, you know, 
what gets a man to this point? What gets someone to the point of, of just completely turning his back on everything that he knows is right and to do everything that he knows is wrong? And then God said, hang on just a second. Don't you do the same thing? And he kind of led me to the adulterous woman. Y'all remember this story where in the New Testament she's caught, the Bible says, in the act of adultery, and, and the men bring her and drag her out to Jesus, and, and they surround her and say, you know, the, the law says that we should kill her. What do you say? And the Bible says that Jesus bends down and he begins to write things in the sand, and, and he finally speaks, and he says, in verse 7, he says, if any of you is out sin, let him be the first to throw the stone. And what does the Bible say? He says that, that one by one men just drop their rocks and they leave. See, we, we read this and we go, oh, maybe he got real personal. Maybe he got a little deeper than just, hey, how are you? What if we were one of those men? What would he have written? That we don't know what he wrote. I would love to know what he wrote. But we get on our little, we get on our religious high horse and we ask questions like, how could you? How could they? I can't believe they've done this. And all the while, I want us to remember that Jesus is probably right in the sand. And he's looking at us saying, if, if you're without sin, go ahead. Question them. Throw the first stone. At the end of that, Jesus says this incredible statement to this woman and she stands up and she says where'd they all go and he says woman where are they have they not condemned you and she says no one sir and he says neither do I condemn you go and leave your life of sin I think if Jesus could say anything to us this morning he would say go and leave your life of sin I'm not here to condemn you I'm here to set you free. Go and leave your life of sin. See, we have this understanding of John 3.16. We all know that, probably arguably the most well-known verse in the Bible. But it's followed immediately with John 3.17 that says, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. So the question is, the big question this morning is, who needs a do-over? I'm going to answer it. We do. Right? Everybody here. If I were to say, raise your hand if you need a do-over, because we're Baptists, we would slowly kind of give the little hand. We, some of us would probably just nod because we don't want to raise our hand in church. But we all need one, right? And, and we, we read through this, and I could get to the adulterous woman. I could go through King David and Jairus' daughter and the bleeding woman and the woman at the well and Peter and James and Barabbas and... Saul and Thomas and Moses and you know where we'd end up? You and me. Because everyone that's in Scripture, every person that's mentioned, every person that's lived since needs a do-over. We all desperately need a do-over. And I think Jesus is saying, that's exactly what I came here to get. See, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to save you. I'm not here to point the finger. I'm here to offer some relief. And we, I think, really get these things mixed up in our head. We don't quite understand the difference between condemnation and conviction, right? 
Conviction is God pointing out things in our life that, that don't line up with what He has for us. Condemnation is saying that those things make us horrible, rotten people. Conviction is God speaking truth to our life and trying to adjust areas of our life. Condemnation is the enemy saying that you're no good because of the, the areas that you struggle in. Conviction is a natural process of a do-over. Do and condemnation is believing that you're not worthy of a do-over. And all the while that Jesus is saying, I'm not here to condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. I'm, I'm here to convict you. That's, that's, that's what church really teaches us. It teaches us, it's really an odd way to think about it, but it teaches us what conviction is. It teaches us areas of our life that don't line up with what God has for us. It doesn't mean that you're an awful person. It just means that we have areas that we need to work on. I've, I've explained it like this. It's like an onion. And I know that sounds, Christianity is like an onion. Let's, amen. Let's go, to, let's go home, right? But, but what happens when you peel back a layer of an onion? Well, there's another layer. You peel back that layer, there's another layer. You peel back that layer, there's another layer. That's exactly what God does in our life. He points out the top layer and says, listen, this isn't right. Let's work on this. And maybe it's, maybe it's your, something easy. Maybe it's like your language. Maybe it's the things that you say. Maybe it's just your occasional word that you should not say that you would not say in Sunday school. You know what I'm talking about? And maybe God's saying, listen, let's work on this because you're smarter than that. You're better than that. You can use other words to express yourself. Let's, let's peel back this layer. And you work on it and you say, okay, God, I want you to, kinda, I want you to point this out to me. I want you to make this a, a fourth thought in my mind. And he points it out and you go, okay, I, I've kind of got, got it. You worked on it a few months. You feel like, man, this is great. I've, I've kind of got this thing going down. And God says, okay, let's pull this layer back. Now, look, there's another one. Let's, let me show you how this part of your life isn't lining up. And you go, God, I just, I just figured out this one. Let me, let me get this one down. He goes, you got this one down. Let's go on. Let's go a little bit deeper. And then it gets into your relationships, and it gets into your finances, and it gets into the way that you treat people, the way that you talk about people. It gets into the way you spend time with God. There's always this next layer. And see, that's not condemnation. That's conviction. God's saying, listen, there's more of your life that I want. I want you to give more of who you are to me. And, and we, we interpret that as God's just coming down on us. And he's saying the same thing he said to the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to set you free. Go leave your life of sin. Go, go get rid of all of this. And listen, I think the craziest thing, Jessica and I were talking about this last week, the craziest thing in the world to me is that when someone has been given their do-over moment, when someone has been given this new lease on life, this, this new perspective and this new, this new influence and this new way to see your life and this new forgiveness and this new mercy, the craziest thing to me is, is when somebody gets that and they go back, just right back to what they had been living before. They go right back to their life. They, they ask God for all this fresh, new encounter. And it's almost like they just say, Thanks, God. But can, can you go back into that box that I normally keep you in? Thanks for, thanks for everything that you just did for me, but can you just kind of fade back into the background because I've got a lot of other stuff going on. Thanks, God. That's really all I needed. I, I'm, 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 we're, we're good. Really, you should say, thanks for giving me what I don't deserve, but I'm done with you now, so please go away. How could we 
who've been given a do-over in the most incredible circumstances in our life, how could we say, thanks, but we've got it from here? See, I think that's what David had to come to the understanding of. That's why David was able to be labeled as a man after God's own heart, because he saw his sin. He saw his major mess up. He saw his desperate need for a do-over, and he got it. And then he continued to live underneath God's leadership. Yeah, did he make some more mistakes? Sure. But he had this moment. He had this real do-over moment. And he said, I can't go back to doing that any longer. I can't live my life that way anymore. And so what I want us to read today in Psalm 51 is the Psalm of David after his, after his oh no moment. This is after the prophet came to him and pointed out who he was and the sin that he committed and that it was public knowledge. And David writes Psalm 51 in the, in the middle of this emotional turmoil, in the middle of this crazy, life-altering moment of his. This is in the middle of his do-over. If you've got your Bible, Psalm 51, verse 1, we're going to start there and read the first four verses. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge this is forgiveness church this is an incredible look at the verbiage here have mercy on me blot out my transgressions wash away my iniquity cleanse me from my sin this is all things that david couldn't do for himself but god could because of his unfailing love and his great compassion he says he's i need you to do this i need you to have mercy on me I need you to give me something that I don't deserve. I need you to take my sin and take it away from me. I need you to cleanse me. See, if you need a do-over, you come to this point, maybe you're here this morning, you're going, this is exactly what I need. I need to, I need to do this. This is the prayer that you pray. You sit in your pew or you sit at home and you do whatever you've got to do. Sit in your car in the parking lot. I don't care. You take Psalm 51 and you begin to pray these first four verses and you mean it from the bottom of your heart and God will, will step in and he'll do things that you can't do for yourself but see this is what we don't want to do we don't want to deal with the, the brokenness part of our do over we want to go right into the restoration part of our do over right we want to we say God give me back my family give me back my integrity and my trust and my influence God, forgive me and give me all at the same time. And it doesn't work like that. It doesn't ever work like that. We've got to have a moment of, of brokenness over what we have done. And then God will begin the process of restoring us. See, see forgiveness is immediate. Restoration takes time. Forgiveness is, is just a breath away. God, please forgive me. God, I, I, I recognize what I've done wrong. God, I'm broken over my sin. God, I, I cannot be the man or the woman that you have created me to be. 
with this in my life. God, please forgive me. And he says, I got you. I'll forgive you. But too often we say, God, forgive me and give me. God, forgive me this, but give me back all this stuff that I've lost because of the mistake that I've made or the mistakes that I've made or the life that I've chosen to live. God, forgive me and give me all at the same time. But listen, church, if you don't get anything, listen to this. If your do-over is only with God, then it's worth it. If the only thing you get back is your relationship with Jesus in the right manner that it should be, then it's totally worth it. You may never get your influence back. You may never get your integrity back. You may never win the trust of people that you have betrayed. You may never get your relationships back. You may never get your children and their relationships and their trust back. You may never get your marriage back on track. But if your do-over is with God only, it's still worth it. And so, so what we've got to do is we've got to understand that the give me part is all extra. It's all, it's all icing on the cake. We get the forgiveness. We get the do-over spiritually with God that we desperately need. And if he chooses to give us all that other stuff on top of it, then great. But if we don't ever get that stuff, guess what? Your do-over is still needed. And he still wants that. And you still need that. Forgive me and give me never work together. God, forgive me. That's your prayer. You stop there. And then he says this incredible statement in verse 4 that kind of puts all this in perspective. He says, Against you and you only have I sinned and done evil in your sight. See, David understands. He gets it. We could talk about how far-reaching his sin was. We could talk about his kids and his grandkids and his great-grandkids. We could talk about how really generations after David really struggled and suffered. And we could kind of tie it all back in to this Bathsheba moment. But, but he understands this, this incredible truth of against God and God alone has he sinned. Yes, your sin affects others, and yes, it affects relationships, but the biggest hurt and the biggest and most important relationship that's scarred by our decisions and our sin is our relationship with God. And we go against you, and you only have I sinned. Yes, God, it affects my, my work relationships. Yes, it affects my, my marriage relationships. Yes, it affects all everything else. But God, most importantly, it affected you. God, forgive me. Let's look at the second part of this prayer. Verse 10, skip down just a little bit. He says this, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation, and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. These two major words in this passage is this idea of renew and restore. Renew is a uh, Hebrew word, hadash, which means to repair. It's saying, repair me. And this restore word is the, is the word shuv. And it means to bring back or return. And, and so really David's saying here is repair me and return me. See, he handled this forgiveness thing. And now he's coming to the second place. God, God, please repair. Put me back together. 
God, all the broken pieces of my life, all the hurt feelings, all the wrongs that I've done, God, can you just put it all back together? Can you repair me? And then, God, can you return me? I'm just asking, God, can you return me back? Can you restore me back? God, can you put me back together like you want me this time? Bring me back to the place where you are all that I need. Return me the joy of my salvation. I talked about this on Wednesday night and in our adult Bible study we're going through Second Peter and I just said, you know, I hope that we never get over our salvation. My prayer is that we never get over our salvation. Why? Because when you do that, when you are consistently reminded of how great God is because of what he's done for you, you come back underneath his authority. You come back underneath that, God, you didn't have to, but you did. God, thank you for this. He's saying, restore in me the joy of my salvation. He said, bring me back to, to my understanding that you are the only person I need. And then in verse 17, he gets to the last part of this. Verse 15, let's go back a little bit. Once you've forgiven me, once you've repaired me, God, allow me to obey. He says this, O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. Do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. You know what? stood out to me in this passage when I was reading through it. Who allowed David to speak? He, he says, Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. Here, please hear what I'm saying. People go through something and they have their moment. I don't know if I would call it a do-over moment, but they have their moment. And on the back side of their moment, this is what they say. Let me tell you about what God has done. I'm doing this, and I'm doing that, and I'm serving here, and I'm helping in this ministry, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm. And what I want to say is, what is God doing if you're busy doing all these things? Because see, your do-over moment is not about you. It's not about what you're going to get to do. It's about what God's doing in your life. And you can veil that, and we can use all kinds of church lingo to veil that in this really holy experience when really it's just about you and about all that you're doing. And, and you begin quickly to forget that God's the one that's trying to do something in your life. David says here, Lord, open my lips. Open my mouth. That's surrender. That's willingness to let the only thing that comes out of your mouth be what God wants. Listen, I've been there. Some of you have been there because you've talked to me about it. And you've said things like, Matt, I, I want to tell you. I want to be able to tell you everything that God's doing, but I just can't yet. I don't, God's just not done with it, and I don't want to get ahead of him. And I think he's still trying to teach me something, but as soon as I feel like he's allowing me to speak, I'm going to come tell you. And sometimes it's weeks and sometimes it's months and you come back and you say, okay, let me tell you everything that I've learned. Even since the last time I talked to you. That's surrender. That's, that's, that's coming underneath God's 
leadership and saying, this is not about me. This is not about me being restored to anybody other than you, God. This is not about my platform that I can speak from. This is not about me having a microphone in my hand or maybe being on stage or maybe being in front of other people. It's not about me. It's about what God's brought me to and brought me through. Let me show you, let me tell you about what God's done in my life. That's a testimony. When your testimony begins with I, 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 that's not a testimony. But when you, when you come underneath what God's trying to say and what He's trying to tell you and you allow that to be what comes out of your mouth, that's surrender. That's real. And that's, I believe, what God wants. So when God allows you to speak, you speak. When God says, now it's time. It's time. I don't want to miss this really great statement in verse 16. He says, you don't delight in sacrifice or burnt offerings. He's basically saying, nothing I can do on the outside is going to bring you any kind of satisfaction. It's not going to impress you at all. My church attendance, my giving record, my Sunday school, and my discipleship university attendance, none of that stuff impresses you, God. What you want is obedience. You want a broken and contrite heart. We read these words and sometimes in Scripture, and, and I challenge you, if you don't do this, you need to. Sometimes when you get to a kind of a weird word in, in the Bible, or you think, I wonder why he used that word. You need to go and look it up. You need to figure out what it actually means because, unfortunately, the English language is very limited, right? We, we say we love something. It's the same word that we use when we talk about how you love your truck, and you say, I love my wife, and I love my truck, and you only have one word to use. But, but Hebrew language and the Greek language is very expressive. It's got a lot of different words to mean a lot of different things. And you need to figure out what those words are. This word here we read, this broken and contrite heart. Does anybody know what a contrite heart is? The word contrite translates into crushed heart. See, we read it and we think, you just want this broken and just this very, you know, willing to be used heart. But God says, no, I want a broken and crushed heart. I want that when you fully recognize what your sin is, that it crushes you. I want you to come to me saying, God, I understand the, the far-reaching aspects of what I've done. God, I understand what I've done in the moment. God, I understand what I've done to you, and I am crushed. I am broken. When you understand the magnitude of our forgiveness and what it costs, it humbles us. It breaks us. And it crushes us. David went through a, an incredible, public, embarrassing do-over. And it crushed him. And he came out on the backside a different person. He came out on the backside willing to listen, willing to own his mistake, willing to 
to have his do-over moment and to say, okay, God, what do you have for me now? Forgiveness, restoration, obedience. Psalm 51 goes through this and so much more. We didn't have time to go through all of it. He, David understood this. Do you quite understand it? Do you get the magnitude of your sin and how against really God and God only have we sinned? And when we say we need this do-over, God says, I can do it. I can give it to you. And our attitude has to be, that's enough, God. That's, that's all I can ask for. God, re repair me and restore to me the joy of my salvation so that I can look upon you and I can be satisfied with you and you alone. And from this point forward, my whole focus, my whole gain in life, my whole everything is going to be to live for you. David got it. He lived it. My question for you this morning is, do you? Do you get it? Do you really hone in to that? Hey, this is Matt Overall, the pastor here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Just want to say thanks so much for watching our services, whether through our television ministry or our online ministry. We appreciate you so much being a part of Emmanuel Baptist Church, and we'd love to have you come and join our worship service. Uh, Sunday morning service starts at 1030. Our small groups start at 930. And we'd love to have you be a part of it. We've got a lot of different ministries that happen at Emmanuel, from our children and youth that's focused on Wednesday nights to our uh, women's Bible studies that happen throughout the week. We'd love to have you be a part of everything that's going on here at Emmanuel. Thanks for watching.